Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about uh, dealing with the voice of doubt. Dealing with the voice of doubt. You know, there, there was, a, there was a, a big uproar. Um, it's actually, it's all over Netflix and it still kind of catches some news press once in a while. But it was a big festival called the Fire Festival. Anybody ever hear about the Fire Festival? It was like the biggest festival that never happened. It was uh, uh, rapper Ja Rule partnered with some other CEO guy, and, and they decided that they were going to rent out Pablo Escobar's private island and throw the biggest party of the century. And so that's exactly what they did. They set out, they did all these promotions, they, they went on tour just saying, hey, you know, professional artists are going to be there, music artists, models, it's just going to be this unbelievable festival. And it sold out within 48 hours. People were paying upwards of $50,000 per ticket just to try to experience this party of a century. In fact, here's one of the pictures of their promo. It says, the best food, art, music, and adventure in paradise. I mean, it's just going to be in, in, you know, where the water is completely crystal clear, just on a remote island. Everybody is just thinking we are going to go and we are going to lose our minds at this party. And so they pay $50,000 uh, for a VIP treatment that would uh, include you meeting with some of the artists. And you would get a luxury villa. Let me show you what the luxury villa looked like. Uh, so they ended up getting some tents. And when they showed up, it wasn't what they had thought it was supposed to be. Everybody was super disappointed. It was a complete disaster. It ended up being kind of like an anarchy on the island where everybody was spending for themselves. A lot of the mattresses got ruined in the rain. It was just a mess. And uh, if you paid $4,000, let me show you what your lunch would look like. That was your lunch for a $4,000 ticket, not including your airfare. And, and they just pumped this thing and kept promising investors that it was going to be the best party ever. Even after they knew it, they kept going. One of the guys is in jail right now. Uh, I'm sure they're trying to sort. There's so many legal battles happening. But this was some of their promotional material. It was called the Fire Festival, and one of the promos said, come seek, for searching is the foundation of fortune. And really, people were like, I'm searching, and it cost me a fortune, and there's no party. What about this one? It says, what if we reimagine what it means to attend a music festival? It's like, yeah, how about it never happened? Let's imagine that, right? This one's the funniest. The actual experience, the actual experience exceeds all expectations and is something that's hard to put into words. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it will ignite that type of energy, that type of power in our guests. Right? It's kind of like date nights here and the wife comes up and says, honey, where are we going? Oh, I know exactly where we're going. It's going to ignite. There's going to be so much energy. It's going to be such a powerful night. I have no clue where we're going. But, and so, so it, it was, it was the, this big disappointment. So many promises, but completely, completely the largest disappointment for these people. I, I think we've all been there in moments where we've had high anticipations for something and it led to a place of disappointment. Like, like we were so expectant. But then what happened 
was it didn't turn out the way that we had thought. I remember a time, going back to when Jack and I first started dating, we started off a little bit rough and rocky. Like, I wasn't sure, where is this going? Are, are, we, are we doing something? Are we going to do this? Are we not? But then it got really promising. And then there was a moment where her car broke down. And, and so we talked later on in the day. She said, yeah, my car broke down today. And I said, oh, really? I said, why didn't you call me? I said, what did you do, call AAA? She said, no, I called my ex-boyfriend. I was like, excuse me? I was like, girls, there's rules to this game. She's like, yeah, I didn't want to bother you because at that time I lived in Union City. She's like, you're all the way over there. And like his work was right there. And Jackie was, she's super innocent. So I know it wasn't anything shady. But I'm like, what? Bother me. Go ahead and bother me next time. Like, let's, <laughs> let's not do that. So it went south real quick. So promising. Went south real quick. And I didn't talk to her for like two weeks. I'm like, this girl is not going to play me. Right? I, I, don't know if this is, I don't know if this is you, God. This is not how things are supposed to work. But, but we've all had moments where we thought something was so promising, yet it ended up being so disappointing. Like for some of you today, like you thought you would be financially set by now. You thought you would be secure. And that's just, that's just not the case. Some of you guys thought as soon as you got out of college, you would get that dream job. And you're still on the hunt with a huge bill that you have to pay every month. Right? It just wasn't what you imagined. Some of us thought we'd be a lot further along in our career and in our calling, but it's just not panning out the way that, that we thought it would pan out. For some of us, we're still trapped in addiction and bondage that we thought we would, we thought by now we would be way beyond that. Right? Some of us, uh, we, we thought by now we would be a little bit more spiritually mature, but in a lot of ways we're still acting like emotional infants. Everyone in like, what in the world is going on? Some of you guys find yourself in a place right now that you never thought you would be in. You could have never imagined being in this space. And here you are, and you're just trying to, to navigate and to figure out. For some of you guys, uh, you find yourself in, in circumstances, and you thought that life was going to turn out a particular way, and it hasn't. Some of you guys are married, and you thought marriage was this, this, this perfect picture of bliss, and now you're realizing that, man, it's... It's not quite what I imagined. There's, there's some hard work and there's some trials. Some of you, you expected to kind of go through life uh, in a particular way, and then you got a diagnosis from the doctor. It's like, man, I just, so full of promise. And then this report, and it's like, ah. For some of you guys, the marriage is going south, and you never thought, like, our marriage would come to this, and you're on the brink of trying to figure out what do we do next. We, we all have experienced, and the list can go on and on and on. We all have experienced moments where we were so full of promise, and then in the next moment, we're so disappointed. And we find ourselves in a place where we once heard the voices of faith and promise, but now we just hear the voices of doubt and discouragement. And we're trying to navigate and figure out, man, how, how, do, how do I do this? You know, I want you to know if, if you're in that place today, um, you're in a safe house to struggle. Like, like if your faith is wavering a little bit, if you're having some doubts, some questions, man, you're, you're in a great, great house. In fact, I love what the Bible says in Jude. Jude says it this way. He says, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. You must show mercy to them. 
Because they're in a fight. They're trying to figure it out. The, the thing is that this, you're in a safe house. And there's lots of mercy. But can I just tell you as your pastor, we don't want you to stay in this place. Because can I just tell you, uh, doubt and, and has a cousin named fear. And if that doubt starts to translate from trying to discover truth to digressing to a place of fear, life is going to start getting really overwhelming. You're going to find yourself... Uh, you're going to find yourself throwing the promises of God out the window. And then you're going to lose your ability to, to think rationally if you start to live in a place of fear. And how many of you guys know how we think is, is pretty important to the way that we live? In fact, I, I love this quote. It says, it says, life will always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. You know, one of the things that science is discovering, even though there's so much mystery around the brain, they're discovering a, a ton of stuff. Let me show you a, a picture. They're discovering that these neural pathways in our brain are extremely powerful when it comes to our thinking. Matter of fact, they've discovered that the more that you think one thought, the easier it is to continue to think that thought. In other words, your brain creates these neural pathways of thinking that create patterns. And, and they've, they've been really interested in, in how this works. And it's kind of funny because as you look at, um, as you look at the brain, as, as they're going through all of this research, they, they've discovered that we think about twelve to 60,000 thoughts per day. But that's not the crazy part. The crazy part is that they've discovered, research has discovered that 80% of them are negative. 80% of our thoughts digress into a negative pattern. That's not even the worst of it. 95% of our thoughts are repetitive from the previous day. And so imagine if 95% of our thoughts are repetitive and 80% of our thoughts are negative. How many of you guys know that is a recipe for disaster? And I was thinking, I was like, man, what a confirmation that there is a spiritual problem. See, science is just now discovering that you can actually change these neural pathways in your brain. You can actually restructure your actual brain. But the Bible has been speaking about this for over 3,000 years. I, I mean, look, look what Paul says. Look what Paul says. He says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul was saying way back in the day, he was saying we cannot allow our thoughts to take us captive, but we have to take them captive and submit them to the obedience of Christ. He says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I love the first portion of this. He says, whatever is true, because if we get our eyes off of what's true, it's all downhill from there. We start living in the realm of assumption and deception, and the enemy loves that territory. The moment that we get outside of truth. And so Paul, you know, he's always talking about the mind, and, and probably his most famous passage in regards to this is Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. He says this, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. 
by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Paul said, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world any longer, but let God change you. Let God mature you by changing the way that you think, by, by changing these neural pathways in your brain. You see, Paul knew something that all of us need to know and really lean into. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Paul knew that broken pathways in our thinking create broken patterns in our living. And so when, when these pathways are not functioning properly, neither is our life. And we, we all have these dysfunctions. I wish I could sit up here and say, hey, I have no broken patterns in my life. That would be a bold-faced lie. We're all in process. We're, we're all in this process. We're never going to stop renewing our mind until we get to heaven. Let me tell you why. Because you may not be dealing with any pain right now, but tomorrow was coming. Like, you may not be dealing with any offense right now, but, hey, guess what? Somebody's ready to offend you. And so we're going to have to constantly keep renewing our mind. It's a process. Like, for some of you, this is really obvious. Like, you know, you know how it is. You're having a bad day, and all of a sudden, you just feel the, the weight of the world on your shoulders, and it's like dryer's ice cream cookie dough. Let's go. Grocery outlet, we got a deal. You know what I mean? Let's do it. Right, right. Some of us, we, we just, it, we, we gravitate towards things for comfort. Right? Others of us, we say yes when we should be saying no. You ever done that before? It's like you know you should say no to this, but you're saying yes because there's a broken pathway. It could be of rejection. It could be of, of abandonment. That's my lane, by the way. That's what God is constantly renewing and setting me free from. Just so you guys know, like counseling is good. I'm in counseling every single month as your pastor. And if you just, you know, never thought or you feel like there's some broken areas in your life, because I'm going to tell you what, I, counseling isn't just when things are going south. No, you want to, just like your car, you want a, a constant checkup, a constant tune-up to make sure that you're moving in a healthy direction. Do you know what I mean? And so if you need counseling and you can't afford it or something, man, come and talk to us because it's important. Some of us, we need, we need to get some stuff figured out on the journey. Uh, some of us, we, whenever we're corrected, we get defensive. Why? Because we've just, we grew up in an environment that created some broken pathways that, that correction meant, you know, rejection or correction meant that you're not valuable. And that's, that's just not true. Some of us, we live in denial. Like there's things that we should be paying attention to, but we just, <laughs> broken pathways. This is my favorite. This is probably the worst broken pathway is when you see a sale sign and you think God is speaking to you. Right? It's on sale. This is from the Lord. Especially like when it comes to, to vehicles, like to cars, it's like, yeah, but it's still $30,000. still a lot of money. No, but it's on sale. The Spirit of God is speaking to me. And so, so we have these broken pathways in our life. And when the path is broken, what, 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 are, what ends up happening is, is we're left to wandering. If you take your notes, jot this down. When you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up wandering. When the pathway is, is dysfunctional, you're going to end up wandering around the same mountain, around the same pathway over and over 
and over. And so we're going to look at the people of Israel because I think they paint a great picture for us. As we see them coming out of slavery after 400 years, God does some incredible things that they see. Right? The, the ten plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the provision of, of uh, uh, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, manna from heaven. They just experience God in, in such an incredible way. And positionally, they're free. But yet they're still, they still have a slave mentality. There's still broken pathways in their thinking that led to disobedience, that led to unbelief, and led them to wandering around in the desert rather than possessing the promised land that God had had for them. And so, so I, I want you to get this, this picture in your mind is that you and I today, we can learn two ways. We can learn from wisdom or we can learn from consequence. That's how we learn. But the truth of the matter is we don't have enough bones in our body to always learn from consequence. At some point we have to learn from wisdom. Are you tracking with me? So, so I would propose today that we would learn from their consequences, the people of Israel, as the Old Testament was written. Why? It was written for our instruction. That we would learn from their consequence that we might learn by wisdom. And so let me give you this picture. I'm going to fast forward. They were set free out of Egypt. They were led by Moses through the wilderness, and they're on the edge of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that God said, I have given you this land. It belongs to you. Go and take possession of it. It's yours. And they're on the edge of the promised land. It's right there. And they're stuck. You know, I believe that some of you today, you were on the edge of the promise. You're like right there. And God is saying it's yours. It's yours. You know, Martin Luther said, to believe that God has forgiven us and has extended grace towards us is probably the hardest thing to believe. And he's on the, you, you're on the edge and you see it, but you just can't quite step off. And neither could they. And I want to encourage you today as we look at their life that we might be encouraged to take a step. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to learn from them today is this. Is that don't overthink what God has called you to overlook. Don't overthink what God has called you to overlook. There are some things in our life that we're supposed to pay attention to. Like pay attention to, to, to your spiritual life. Pay attention to God. Pay attention to your family, husband. Pay attention to your wives. Like there's things that God has called us to pay attention to. But there's also some things that God says, yeah, you can acknowledge but don't give it any attention. Don't overthink what God has called you to overlook. So they're on the edge of the promised land. God already said, take it. And Moses said, uh, let's survey it. Look what he says. It says, when Moses sent the spies out into the land of Canaan, he told them, go through the Negev and into the hill country and see what the land is like. Well, Moses, God already told you, man. Whether it's people are strong or weak, you already know who's living in the land. Few or many, continue. Is the land where they live, is it good or bad? Are you really asking that question, Moses? Flowing with milk and honey, does that, does that 
mean anything to you, Mo? Uh, are the cities where they dwell, or is it open camps or fortification? Is the soil fertile, or is it unproductive? What? Are there trees in it or not? Go and survey the land. Now, now, in my opinion, they should have never surveyed the land. Because God had already told them to go and possess it. I, 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 would, I, I would, again, I think from a conventional military standpoint, it was a great thing to do. But I don't think his spies were prepared to receive what they saw. And so, so it might have been conventional wisdom to, to do the survey, but I think they were overthinking what God had called them to overlook. I think they were putting way too much emphasis. And I think sometimes when we overthink what God has called us to overlook, it keeps us from walking in the word of God. Because we're, we're, we're somewhat paralyzed. Look what it says. It continues. And it says, and they gave this account to Moses. We went into the land which you sent us. First red flag. It probably should have read something like, we went into the land that the Lord God had given us. So already they're not taking ownership. They're simply surveying the potential of the promise, but not owning it for themselves. And, and indeed, it's flowing with milk and honey, just like God said. Here's some of its fruit. So they, they cut off a big old cluster of grapes. Look at the fruit. I mean, get this picture in mind. They're holding the fruit but not holding the promise. They're holding the fruit while overlooking the promise. And then what ends up happening is they said, look how amazing it is, but nevertheless, key word is never. Nevertheless, the people living in the land are strong and the cities are large and fortified. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. This is, this is, there's giants in this land. What? What in the world? I think so many times that God is calling us to take possession of his promises. So many things that God has promised us that we're, we're on the edge of. Some of us even know it. And we know it's fruitful. We know it's great. We know it's God's best. But for whatever reason, we have a nevertheless. Nevertheless. I just can't. I just can't quite let that go. Nevertheless, I know I'm supposed to forgive. I know I'm not supposed to carry an offense, but nevertheless, they hurt me. I'm carrying too much pain. I, I, I'm offended, and I know that I should let it go, but nevertheless, i got to protect myself. People are going to think I'm weak. I can't be vulnerable. It's too much of a sign of weakness. I know that this sin in my life is killing me. And God has something so much greater. But nevertheless, nevertheless, I can't be accountable. I can't suffer that embarrassment of having that conversation. Man, the church should be the safest place to have a conversation. And unfortunately, sometimes it's the most scariest for people. It's like, man, I, I, I know that spiritual maturity is what you have for me, God, but, but nevertheless, my time 
and I just got a lot of stuff going on. I just, uh, I know I'm supposed to stay put. Like, God, I know you have me in a season of healing right now. Lord, I know that you have me in a season of training right now, but nevertheless, I'm going to try to push down every door because I need it to feel valuable, to be secured. I, I, I'm single. God, don't you see me? I'm single. I know he's barely, like, kind of believes in God. I know we're not equally yoked, but nevertheless, I'm lonely. I'm struggling. Right? Like, for some of you, God's calling you to step into new spaces. And you're on the edge. And you know God has asked you to take a step, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm comfortable here. Even though I know I'm supposed to step out there, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable here. Some of you guys, listen, God has something so incredible for you, but you just can't receive it. Nevertheless, I'm not worthy to receive. Nevertheless, I just can't seem to believe that God would want to do that for me. So I think so many times in our life we have a nevertheless, and the key word is never. What we're saying is never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And God is like, man, what a, what a detrimental place to be when God says here is a promise and we say never. But see, Caleb, he saw things a little bit different. Look what Caleb said. Caleb and Joshua says that Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't. can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. See, there's always going to be giants in the land of the promise. The Christian life is full of blessing and battle. Water comes from a rock. Amazing blessing. Then the Amalekites attack. Sometimes some of our greatest blessings are in the midst of the battle. But, but can I just encourage you? Listen, Caleb is here, and Caleb sees the promise and overlooks the giants. The other spies, they see the giants and overlook the promise. You're going to have to overlook something. Don't overthink what God has called you to overlook. We're not talking about denial. Caleb knows that there are big people in the land, but he also is seeing his God and the faithfulness and the trajectory of their wilderness experience. Like, no, we can surely go and take the land. Don't overthink what God has called you to overlook. The giants, they're going to be there. There's no way around them. There's no way around them. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. When all you see is you, you're forced to overthink. That's all these people saw was themselves. See, Caleb was seeing through a God filter. He was saying, yeah, like, I know we play a part in this thing, but, but God is the deliverer. God is the one who's going to give us victory. But when all you see is you, you are forced to overthink. There's always going to be giants, always going to be voices of doubt arising on your journey through every aspect of God's promises. There's always going to be voices of doubt. Always. But can I just tell you, if you're waiting for your giants to move before you step, if you're taking those shot this down, then you will live your life on the edge of potential while never experiencing the promise. 
you'll always just live on the edge of potential. Just waiting for those giants to move. Move. And God's like, step and watch me move. Hey, preaches so well. So hard to live. So hard to live. And, and God had already given them this promise in, in Numbers chapter 10. And, and Moses knew this. Look at it. It says, that whenever the ark set out, whenever the ark was moving, whenever the ark was, when they were stepping out, when they were moving locations, is Moses would shout, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. Like it was as they moved out, Moses knew that is, as we step, God provides. As we step, so does God. It didn't say as the ark stayed back, just waited till the enemies were gone. That's just not how the Bible works. We see the, even the good shepherd, the, even the, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. All right, what does he say? He says that he prepares a table before us in the presence of, of our enemies, not in the absence of them. In the very presence of our enemies. That right in the midst of the giants, that enemies can be scattered. But I think sometimes we're, we're so afraid of opposition. Like opposition is the enemy. And believe me, like, I, I don't like opposition. But I am learning to appreciate opposition. You know, in New Zealand, it's, it's, it's pretty rare. About 41% of their bird species don't fly. Is that a trip? And you know why they don't fly? Because there's no predators. There's no predators on the, on the island. There's no snakes. There's no wolves. Uh, I think the only mammal is like a bat. Um, and so there, there's no need for flying. And there's plenty of food, and they just gain weight all day. <laughs> it's like the perfect life. I'm like, I told Jackie, we're moving to New Zealand. <laughs> but there's no predators. There's no reason for them to go up. They can just stay comfortable on the ground. And many times when, when, you don't use your, when they don't use their wings, they lose it. Then it's like, it's like an awkward bird trying to fly. Some, sometimes their, wing, they just, their wings don't even function anymore. See, opposition has the potential to lift you up. Not to simply tear you down. Like, like it, when you look at an airplane or when you look at an eagle, an eagle will fly into the storm. Why? A storm's coming. All the other birds fly away. An eagle flies directly into the storm and uses the wind and the weight and the gravity of the storm to propel him up over the storm so that he can soar above. An airplane, as you're taking off southwest, they're praying for an opposing wind. Because as that wind is opposing, it's what helps you get lift off. And so sometimes we think opposition is the enemy, but it's the very thing that causes you to lift up, to lift off. It's the very thing that causes you to, to look up and say, God, we need you. It causes you to be dependent on him. It causes you to get on your face and cry out to him. It causes you to want to, to, to get close to him. Why? And, and what does that do? It changes your world. And then you get to see God move in incredible ways. You see, opposition will put you in such a position to see God and do things that you never thought possible. But so many times we want the giants to move. 
They're not moving. Opposition does not have to be the enemy. It's always going to be there. Let's learn to ride it. We have to learn to ride it. Believe me, is it fun? No. Sometimes do I want to quit? Yes. But it's, it's, let me just catch another wind. Yep, opposing force. Let me just get on my knees, God. The battle is yours. The battle is yours. You know, Jesus said it like this. When it came to opposition, he said, if you have faith in God, he said, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. You know, many scholars believe uh, as you travel to the land of Israel uh, that Jesus said this on a couple of occasions. But the one when he was in Bethany, it was a, it was a, it was a perfect, gave him a, a perfect line of sight to this mountain that I want to show you. It's called Herodian. Now, Herodian, uh, if you guys know anything about Israel's history, Herod was a king that was a master builder. And when you go to Israel and you see some of his architecture, it's still up today. It's, it's, just, it's just amazing. And he was also a, a major slave driver, horrible man, just a hard man. And on one particular moment, he loved to have his fortresses very secure and he also liked to position himself really high from opposition, from opposing forces. And so on this particular mountain, this is actually partially a man-made mountain in Israel, where he took from another mountain, I mean, we're talking buckets, rocks, and dirt, with slave labor, and built this thing called Herodian. Now, you got to understand, for, for the disciples, the, the, the Roman Empire was their oppressors. They were, they were being crushed under that regime. And many scholars believe that when Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed, that he was pointing to Herodian and saying, even the one that you see, there is no hope or is such opposition that there's not even the chance of victory. He said, it's no match for my kingdom. It's no match and does not have to have a hold on your life any, any longer. You don't have to live in the bondage of that. You can be free in the midst of your battles. You see, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God is able to do so much more than we can think. And Paul's coming, this is a doxology, he's coming out like this, this crescendo moment as he's talking about spiritual maturity. He's talking about being rooted in the love of Christ, gaining more and more knowledge. And, and he's, he's speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit operating in and through us. Notice how it doesn't say the power at work outside of us, but the power at work within us. I think sometimes we use this passage as a way to say, hey, this passage is real when all your giants are removed. But I would, I, would, I, would, I would counteract that and say that this passage that God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask, think, or imagine in the midst of your giants, in the midst of your fight to give you the strength, to give you the perseverance, to give you the endurance on the journey. This isn't just like the end of the story, like, oh, all right, there's no more issues, no more giants. No, in the very presence of your enemies, God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond. 
That's why Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, he said, listen, if you're waiting for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. It doesn't exist. And you know when you're there because you're on the edge and you're frustrated. You're frustrated because you know you're not supposed to be on the edge. You're supposed to be walking in the promise. And then rather than being compelled by the word, you just start to complain about the world. Everything's wrong and you just complain and complain and and complain. Why? Because you're on the edge and you're so uncomfortable here because you're not meant to be here. You're meant to step into all that God has for you. You're meant to step into his peace, into his refuge, into his security. You're you're meant to to step into those new spaces. You're meant to step into those areas of, of forgiveness and grace. You're meant to step in. And so when you're not, you're on the edge. And God says it's all here and you're just frustrated and you don't feel like yourself. And you're just like, ah. Oh. The disciples found themselves like this in a moment where, where there was a demon-possessed boy and they could not cast him out. And they were just like, why couldn't, why couldn't we do it? What's wrong? And Jesus said this to them. He, he said, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed in that moment. Well, if you look at unbelieving and perverse, what Jesus was saying is this. Let me, let me show you on the screen that, that there was a faithless, and faithlessness comes when there's a disconnect from God. But there was also a pervertedness, which just simply means we're far too connected to the world. So there's sometimes a disconnect from God. Like, God, we know what you're saying, but we're overlooking what you're saying, and we're overthinking the giants. And we're not trusting him, and it results in unbelief. It results in faithlessness. Now, if your faith is wavering, it's okay. There's mercy, but we can't stay there. Because if it stays there long enough, it starts to digress to unbelief. And we find ourselves disconnected from God. And then what do we do? We're left to ourselves, so we start to rely on things of the world. But Jesus continues. He says in Mark chapter 9, he says, But Jesus answered, This kind cannot come out except but by prayer and fasting. Some translations say fasting, some don't. Earliest manuscripts, normally they they would take off fasting. But I think it doesn't take anything away from the context. And and what, what what does prayer do? Prayer simply connects us to God. What does fasting do? It simply disconnects us from the world. And so I, I would propose to you today that if we're not going to overthink what God has called us to overlook, we got to be close to him. And so that's why we're embarking starting today on 21 days of prayer. I'm going to add fasting. I told you I wouldn't. I told you it was going to be 21 days of prayer and feasting, but I'm going to add fasting. But it's a different kind of a fast. I was praying about it this week, and I felt like, you know, that probably the hardest thing for us to give up is our time. So I'm just going to ask you, would you fast some of your time over the next 21 days to devote to prayer? To saying, God, I want to disconnect from some of the things of the world. I've just kind of been living in this, I don't know, on the edge. And I've been overlooking the things that I shouldn't be. And I've been overthinking the things that I shouldn't be. And I've been far more impressed by my giants than your power. And I want to get back to a place where, like Caleb would say, surely. Not nevertheless, surely. 
Surely we can take the land. Surely I can step into what you have for me. Listen, I would encourage you, don't try to step into everything. Try to step into one thing that God has spoken to you that maybe you've just been reluctant in. And see what he does. Life's too short. I'm about to be 40 years old. And some of you guys are like, oh, you're young. You're a baby. But you, you know what they say? You know what they say when they talk to people in their 80s and 90s? A lot of times when they're asked, what would you do different? Almost, almost across the board, it's I would have risked a whole lot more. And for us, it's not even a risk. It's trusting God as the most calculated and safest place you could be. So I want to invite you to join us on 21 Days of Prayer. We have a little guide for you. Um, we even have a little, uh, it's called Acts. It's a little, you know, how do I pray? We have a little outline for you to help you understand what it means to pray. We have some prayer targets for you every single day. We have prayer happening on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. Uh, I would do it every week if you guys, every day, if you guys would be down for it. Um, but we're, we're, we're going to try to Zoom, uh, put a link on our website under the 21 Days of Prayer resource um, on our website. We're going to do our best to connect the Zoom link. And so if you want to tap in at 6 a.m. via Zoom, which is like a virtual conference call, um, we'd love for you guys to join us. But as a church, can we just go after God over the next 21 days? Um, can we go heart and soul? Can you guys do that with me? Awesome.